Thank you, uh, worship team, for leading us and for really doing a great job of helping just prepare our hearts for this morning. We always appreciate uh, the work you do and, and filling in when Paige is sick. Thanks, David, for being here this morning. So, um, But what a great morning. What a great prayer that last song was. This, this prayer says, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. And I hope that as we sang that song for you, that it was your prayer. And just asking God to, f- to fill this place. And we know his presence is here. And sometimes we just need to uh, say that we are open and, and to open our hearts. And I know that certainly um, was my prayer during that song. So thanks for being here this morning. Uh, my name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. And uh, it's my privilege to be able to share with you. I uh, enjoy the time that we can open the word of God and, and look into this together. I um, also want to say thank you for those of you who did join us at Ocean Knoll elementary school yesterday. Uh, We do things like that um, not because we are looking for things to do on a Saturday morning. And uh, part of the heart of our church, one of the reasons why we want to participate in projects like that is because we believe as Jesus Christ transforms our lives, as we are people who are captured by the grace of God, that we want to be people who then are engaged in the community so that the world can see that the good news of Jesus as it changes lives is good news for everyone. It's not just good news for us. Because as we're captured by the love of Jesus, then we can put that love on display. And that's good news for everyone, even for an elementary school uh, in our community. And, and the reason we pick projects like that is our church is, we're obviously down the street from the school. But we really want to be known in, in this area as a place that's filled with people who follow Jesus. And because of that, we make a difference. We don't want to just be a building that people say, oh yeah, you're that building over there. We want them to say, wow, your church and, and the people transformed by Jesus make a difference in our city. So that's why we participate with things like that. And it was fun to be there yesterday. I know even some of the tasks that were done, uh, for those of you who were there, uh, you had great just servant hearts and, and were working hard. I watched my wife and um, my kids actually scrubbed out one of the um, bathrooms and um, you know elementary school bathrooms they're not clean (laughs) and it was amazing to see them in there uh, cleaning it and we have three boys and we know what three boys can do to one bathroom in 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 a week and to think of of hundreds of boys in a week (laughs) so (laughs) needless to say I had other things that they needed me to do yesterday I was really important that uh (laughs) I was working inside in one of the classrooms. I kind of felt like I was cheating because it was, it was inside a classroom, like hanging up some uh, shelves and curtains and stuff. And I, I was outside of where I was, where the people working in the garden, they're like shoveling dirt and moving stuff around. So I took my time. I was just looking out there. Okay, when are they going to be done? I can't leave this classroom. Yeah, they might see me. Um, just kidding. But uh, it was, there was a lot of work that was done. It was uh, great to see everyone out there. Um, and one of the reasons, too, why we do that is because we believe as a church, when we interact with Scripture, which we're about to do in a moment, when we open up the Bible and we read these, these pages, we believe that this, these are words that are not intended to just fill our heads. That the reason we read and, and study Scripture is not so that we can be smarter people or Christians who know more. It's because we believe it calls us to action. And that's one of the tangible things that we do is put the love of Christ on display. So this morning, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 9. We're going to get there in just a moment. 
And this is another story in our series of the Renovation series. And Renovations is, is stories out of the Gospels about grace at work. The grace of Jesus, how he encountered and interacted with the people in his life. And how that grace transformed and renovated, renovated their lives, the way they think, the way they live. And what our goal is, is to study these and to find truth for us today. And, and to allow Jesus to continue to transform and renovate who we are. And so that's the purpose of, of the study and, and what we'll be doing. So before we get into that, uh, join me as we pray and ask God to move. God, we thank you again for this morning. Uh, I thank you uh, for the many people in this church who are, are, are taking steps to allow you to transform their lives and, and to put your love on display in the community, um, in their everyday life, and uh, we're so grateful. I pray right now, God, that uh, my words would be yours, that you would teach me as I speak, God, that this would be truth that would make you known and would lift your name up and, and give you the glory. That's our desire. It's our desire in this place this morning. So we thank you and give you this time now. In Jesus' name, amen. A few years ago, it's been several now, when uh, my wife and I, we only had two kids, two young kids at home. And it was a phase of life where many mothers uh, can probably relate to, especially if my wife, she went through a transition where she was able to stay home um, with our, our kids when they were young. And so she was transitioning out of the workforce and having a, 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 a time uh, of working. And now she is working even harder, <laughs> being home with kids. And, but it's that phase of life when I'd come home from work, or she would say so-called job, and you'd come home from work, and, and she just wanted to have grown-up conversations. I don't know if any mothers out there can relate to that phase. Yes, uh, some of you can. And, and some of you, even with teenagers, are still saying, I'm looking forward to grown-up conversations. But um, it was that phase of life when it's just so much of your life and your time is put into that. And I came home from work one day and just asked her, like, hey, how, how are you doing today? How did the day go? And she said, oh, it was great. And, and, and she told me in the afternoon, there's a couple of people who were going door-to-door, and it was two missionaries from a religion that is not our own, who were going door-to-door in our neighborhood. And it was two young ladies, and uh, they came to the door. And often, you know, those are, when they come over, often if I see them coming down the street, like, don't answer the door, don't make any noise, no matter what. Okay, let's just hang out in the backyard for a little while. Um, I know, very spiritual, just take advantage of every opportunity, yeah. So, um, but so my wife answered the door when they came over. And, and she saw them and, and knew what they were about and just said, you know, my husband's a pastor, I'm a Christian, you're not going to change my mind or convert me, but you want to come in, I was just having some afternoon tea, why don't you come in and we'll sit and talk. And the, and the ladies came in. And when she told me that, at first I thought, oh no, what, you know, what does this mean? Is this like a first step? Are you open to something else? And that, you know, when the, the initial first second overreaction, and she was like, no, I wanted grown up conversation. <laughs> But, but with that, there was also something very profound that happened, is that she brought them in, and, and, and they had some coffee together and afternoon snacks, and, and just talked, and she asked them about their life, and they asked about hers, and they just talked. And what it was, was a picture, and, and I was thinking about it, thinking, well, this is a picture of what God wants for us. This is why hospitality is so important. If you read throughout scriptures how God commands the people to have a home that is hospitable, to be able to welcome people in and even have them at your table. See, something happens when someone sits at your table with you. 
It breaks down all, kind of bar- all kinds of barriers and allows this, this real interaction to happen. And as she told me the story and I thought about it later, I thought, isn't that really probably how we should all be? That's a great example to me. And when I read this story today that we're going to be studying in Matthew chapter 9, I was remembering this. Because in the story here in Matthew chapter 9, we see a story of Jesus being welcomed in and actually dining with some people who you would find in the first century to be a very unexpected dinner party. It was not an event that made a lot of sense in context of their culture. And so this morning what we're going to do is read this story in Matthew chapter 9 and then take a few moments to really dig into the context and the historical background of everything that was happening that to first century they would hear it and it would make more sense than it does today. It was a little more scandalous to them than it is maybe for us. So that we can look in this and then we'll learn a little bit about the heart of God and the response that we're asked to have. So join me as we look at Matthew chapter 9. And pick it up in verse 9 here. And this is after Jesus had been interacting with some people. And he is in the region of Galilee. Probably in the northern region by this town called Capernaum. And he's traveling on some road in that area. And in verse 9 it says, As Jesus went on from there, and he saw a man called Matthew sitting in a tax collector's booth. And he said to him, follow me. And Matthew got up and followed him. Now, some other um, versions of the gospel in the book of Mark, for example, it refers to Matthew under the name Levi. It's the same person, and likely he had two names. It was Matthew Levi was probably his name. And so if you read another version uh, account of the same story, or sometimes you say, where's Matthew? It's the same person. That's just a little historical note there. So verse 10. It happened that night that Jesus was reclining at the table in the house. And the house that he was reclining at was in Matthew's house. And and we know that from Mark chapter 2. And behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why is your teacher eating with tax collectors and with sinners? And Jesus heard this and he said, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what it means, I desire compassion and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but to call sinners. So in this brief encounter here, we have a story of Jesus calling yet another of his disciples to follow him. And the disciple he calls is this guy named Matthew. And Matthew, we find, is a tax collector. And tax collectors, if you are familiar with scripture... And have read in the New Testament, maybe you hear them mentioned often, especially in the Gospels when they speak of Jesus. They bring up tax collectors time and again. Tax collectors often are uh, connected with the next phrase, which is tax collectors and sinners. And so today what we want to do is understand a little bit of why is this such a big deal, Jesus' call of Matthew and Matthew's response that we see. So to understand the full context, first of all, Let's take some time to understand what a tax collector equated to in the time of Jesus and how that system worked. Now, first of all, they were under the Roman Empire. So in this region of Galilee, that they were in in the northern region and there was a southern region. But here they were under a king called Herod Antipas. and, And so he was kind of the 
governor of this region, who then had to pay tribute to Caesar in Rome. And Herod would uh, collect taxes from his people. And the people here paid taxes. They had a couple different types. They had a land tax, which is essentially your property tax. And for those who didn't own property, they had what they called a head tax. And that meant if you're alive. So everyone qualifies to pay. <laughs> and, and so those taxes would go to pay, and those would go on to Caesar and Rome expenses of, of Rome, uh, of the roads, of the palaces, of the temples. It would cover the expenses of the army. And so the taxes were paid to pay for the soldiers who would also stay in that region. Now, that is kind of in the, the very basic tax form. Now, there's a whole other set of taxes now that were enacted. And these taxes are for us more closely related probably to sales taxes and income tax. And these were collected by people like Matthew that were tax collectors, and some versions may call it tax farmers is what they would call it. <coughs> Excuse me. And these tax collectors would set up a booth. They would have a region, usually on one of the trade routes, on one of the roads. And people knew when you went through here, you had to pay a tax one possibly for using the road, but certainly, too, you would pay for transporting any goods on the road. And you would also, if you're a fisherman in the region and you catch your, your catch of fish, you would have to pay a tax on what you brought in there for the commerce. So it's your income slash sales tax. Now, that seems, well, maybe doesn't seem fair enough, but familiar enough to many of us. But something else happened with how this worked. So the tax collectors in this region, and this is pretty important to understand the disdain people had for them. How you became a tax collector is you would bid out the job. You would go to the chief tax collector and to the other authorities and say, I want this region. I will be the tax collector for Northern Galilee, for example. And so I'm going to bid out the job, and I'm going to tell you that this year I will collect a certain amount of money. Perhaps you say $100,000. Whatever. And that is, that's my bid to be the tax collector for this region. And, and you'd bid against other people who want to be tax collectors. So, like any good business, the person who gets the job is the highest bid, normally. Now, what happens if you received that contract to collect taxes there, was then you had to pay that tax for the entire year in advance. So if Matthew paid out the bid and, and got the bid, and they said, okay... We accept your bid, $100,000, now pay it right now. So you had to pay for the taxes you would collect for the whole year in advance. So you pay it, and now you have the Roman guards and the authorities behind you, because you just paid their salary, to help you enforce the taxes. Now, at the time of Jesus, there was no official tax rate. It was somewhat subject to your tax collector. Now think of how this system works. You know you have to collect at least 100000 just to cover your expenses. So what happens as the year goes on and you're running a little low? Taxes go up. <laughs> there's no stimulus plan of reducing taxes to make sure there's more commerce in the area. It's quite the opposite because those taxes are already paid by this person. So can you see now why people may not like tax collectors? <laughs> as they need to in increase the amount of taxes they collect to cover their expenses, 
and then to make enough money to live off of, and then to make enough to pay the taxes for the following year, if you have to pay it in advance. So tax collectors became very widely known as people who were pretty shady. And even if they weren't doing anything shady, people didn't like them. They hated them because they were taking their money. And you didn't know what to expect from time to time. Now, in this region, likely the people who were the tax collectors were Jewish people. And so think of if your own people were collecting your taxes, taxes from you. People who you thought you are fellow countrymen and now you're collecting taxes for Rome. You can see how there's some disdain growing for them. According to the Talmud, which is um, some Jewish writings after first century, and it kind of talks about how you should interact. It has a lot of interpretations and laws. And one of the things as they talk about tax collectors, they say this in the Talmud. It says, all tax collectors are to be considered robbers. <laughs> so even if you are an honest one, you were designated, according to Jewish law, as a thief. No tax collector could ever be used as a witness in a case or as a judge, because they're considered dishonest. No one should accept any money from a tax collector because it's to be considered stolen. That is the title of tax collector. Now, there's another piece of the story here, another set of characters we need to understand for the full context, and that is these people called Pharisees. So Pharisees are also in the story. Now, Pharisees were Jewish teachers of the law, and, and they abided by the laws um, designated by God. Now, here's something about the Pharisees. If you read Scripture, if you've been around Scripture, maybe you hear that name Pharisee, and they get a really bad rap, often deservedly so. But the heart of the Pharisees, the, how they began, is they had an absolute commitment to following the laws of God. The original intent of a Pharisee was to understand the ways and the commands of God and follow them so purely that they would not have any defilement in their faith. Their desire was that their faith would be pure and their nation would be a nation dedicated to God, not to Rome or to Greece or whoever was on the throne conquering them at the time. So at the beginning of the whole movement of the Pharisees, there was a heart that was pure. In fact, Jesus and his theology is very closely associated with the Pharisees. In fact, he probably dis did not disagree with most of what they believed. The Apostle Paul from the New Testament also came from the background of being a Pharisee. See, Pharisees were deeply committed to the ways of God. But they got so committed to the laws that they, started, they lost track of the heart of God. And they got caught up in just a system of being legalistic and applying application to everything without understanding the heart behind it. And that's where there was a division between Jesus and many of the Pharisees. But the Pharisees' chief desire was to keep their nation from becoming corrupted. Because they had seen in their history, as there's a history of other nations conquering them, that people would adopt the gods and the, the customs of other nations nations and they'd see this nation of israel that was supposed to be dedicated to following yahweh the creator god to become someone who also followed caesar they had a religion that said we should only sacrifice only worship one true god one god and then all of a sudden there was caesar and there was these roman gods and they would see this and 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 so they started creating laws to say how can we keep ourselves from being tainted by outsiders 
So that's kind of the heart of what, how that got started. Now, as it relates to tax collectors, there was a region of time, a period of time before the New Testament, between the Old and New, when the history of Israel, uh, there was this thing called the Maccabean Revolt, and they revolted against Greece, and they tried to, to break and find their freedom. Eventually, they found their freedom only to be conquered by Rome. But during that time, they found many people in Israel were adopting uh, Hellenistic traditions, and they were becoming less and less Jewish and more Greek. And the Pharisees said, we have to do something to change this. We have to be more uh, diligent in our faith. So they enacted a series of, of laws and commands, and one of them was you are not to invite anyone into your home who is unclean. You are not to dine with or eat with anybody who is not a follower of God. Disassociate. And the reason was because we don't want their religion and their faith to change ours. So now fast forward to the time of Jesus. You have a tax collector, not very liked. (laughs) A Jewish tax collector who betrayed his people, or so they believed, to collect taxes for Rome. You have Pharisees who say, let's remain pure, and so much so do not even associate with someone unclean because it will defile you just like has happened in our history time and again. And now you have Jesus. And in this story, he enacts something else that I want you to be aware of. It's a tradition called table fellowship. And it's important that you understand this, especially as you read through Scripture, and especially in the New Testament. You will find often... Every time you see a meal taking place, it's important to understand what happens at meals. First of all, table fellowship or sharing a meal with somebody, it implied acceptance of that person. It implied friendship, unity, and intimacy. If you had a meal with someone, it often too was a tradition of to reconcile two sides or two parties, you would have a meal together. So meals were never a light, something to take lightly. If you were to invite someone to have a meal with you, there was always intention to it. It was never just, hey, let's meet and grab a bite of eat. Let's go, you know, grab a fish taco over at the gas station over here. Good place, isn't it? (laughs) And you would never do that just for fun. When you did that, you would do that because you're saying, with you, we have friendship, intimacy, acceptance. Always. That's what a meal related to. If you look at the the stories of Jesus, we find time and time again, he dines with people. We see him dining with tax collectors. We see him dining in the house of Pharisees. We see him making food for 5,000 people. And it's not just a great miracle that happens there. But he has them sit down in groups to dine together with he and his disciples. Very significant that there was something more going on there. When he sat to eat with them, all of a sudden it became table fellowship. We see Jesus talk about these parables where he he compares the kingdom of God to a feast. Very intentional that he uses a feast because that implied table fellowship. And in the parables, he says, everyone is welcome at the table. In fact, go out on the highways, beat the hedges, and take people from the sides of the road and invite them into the table to dine with the king. What that implied was that there would be acceptance and reconciliation and unity and friendship between God and man 
in those stories. So every time you see fellowship or you see a meal, that's something deeper going on. For us, it often isn't. In the time of Jesus, you did not share the table with someone without meaning to. We also see that Jesus shares, as we talked about last week, a meal, the Passover meal with his disciples. Soon after that, he was crucified, died, buried, rose again from the dead. What is the first thing we hear in Scripture is we see that Jesus, after he raises from the dead, he dines with some people on the road who are questioning and wondering what all this means. And then he makes some fish, and he sits down and dines with his disciples. Think of this story here. Peter when Jesus was crucified, denied Jesus three times, said, I don't even know this person. In the next scene, we have Jesus with Peter. He says, sit down, Peter. Let's let's eat fish together. Table fellowship meant there was reconciliation taking place and acceptance and intimacy. So the meal together was tremendous. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 11, Jesus is speaking and he says this, Many will come from the east and west and recline at the table of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. So scripture here, Jesus is saying, people from the east to the west, not even those just from the nation of Israel. So extending to the ends of the earth, people will come and dine at the table. When he says Abraham, Jacob, and and, and Isaac, he's referring to, he's now in paradise dining at the table with God. The table is open. And those are absolutely controversial things for Jesus to say because he's implying that people who don't belong can belong in the kingdom of God. So keep those things in mind when we read this story. See, table fellowship was a symbol also when you took a meal. The reason it was such a big deal is a meal symbolized the rule of God. It symbolized God's provision for people. It offered a true home, a spiritual home. So a meal was symbolic. It was a parable of sorts of greater things going on. And it was welcome to all, for all, or open to all. So when we look at this story now, knowing about tax collectors, knowing about Pharisees and their commitment to purity and their commands to say, don't eat with anyone who is unclean, and we know about the significance of table fellowship, now let's look back at the story and say, what are the lessons that we can learn here? What are the things that we can take from this story? The first lesson here is there's a lesson about the heart of God. Notice God's heart in this story. If someone like Matthew was a tax collector and he was so hated and even for good reason, he and his people were set on the outside according to the the leaders of the day, notice God's heart for Matthew. Even someone who maybe was betraying his own countrymen. Probably someone who had cheated them from time to time. And Jesus goes to Matthew. And I believe that Matthew already probably knew about Jesus. They probably even had some conversations before. It's not some random encounter. Maybe they talked before and said, Matthew, so you're a tax collector, huh? How's that going for you? (laughs) Maybe Matthew would come and listen to the teachings of Jesus. And then one day on the side of the road... Jesus comes to him and says, Matthew, are you ready? Come on. Come and follow me. Come follow me. Let's do something different with your life. 
And Matthew immediately follows him. By the way, he's already paid the taxes for the year. How much has he given up? I don't know. But he goes with him. And the very first thing he does, you see that? That night, he has a meal with Jesus and all the tax collectors and sinners were there. Jesus was totally fine with entering the house of Matthew, an unclean tax collector, to hang out with Matthew and his unclean, tax-collecting, robbing friends. The heart of God is for people. He's willing to look beyond their status, being willing to look beyond at all their lifestyle and everything that everyone, all the labels that people put on them and said, you are a person worthy to be in my presence. Would you come and hear from me? Even you can repent and turn from your ways and be one of my followers. Nothing will hold that back. The heart of God is for people. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 21, verse 31, he says this. He is speaking to the religious elite, those who are still thinking that their commitment to the law was going to make them good enough to enter heaven. And Jesus said to him, tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you will. See, God's heart is for His people. He can see beyond all of the pain, all the past, all the mistakes. He's looking to the heart. What else do we learn about the heart of God? In Luke chapter 15, verse 7, there's this amazing verse, and Jesus says this and this, Don't you know that all of heaven rejoices over just one sinner who repents of their sins? Did you get that? All of heaven rejoices over just one person who will turn from their life, turn to a life of following Jesus. All of heaven rejoices. Do you know who that includes? That includes you. Do you know when you turned from your life, if you've done this, and said, I want to turn to a life of following Jesus, that all of heaven rejoices, rejoiced over you, according to Scripture. Now, some of you, like me, may say, well, no, 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 that's, I'm totally not deserving of that. Like maybe there could have been like a blurb in the, in the Friday email or something, but you know, don't do a party for me. But the heart of God is for the, he will leave the 99 to find the one. And the, when the one turns and follows him, the heart of God rejoices and all heaven joins in. When you encounter people that you're walking by and interacting with and maybe living with and whatever, do you see people that the, all of heaven is waiting to rejoice over? Or do you see people and think, man, all of heaven can't wait for that person just to get out of the way? See, no, the heart of God is for those people and for you and for me. There's uh, this writer in scripture who wasn't a tax collector, Seemed to be a pretty good guy. Loved the laws of God and followed them closely. And he wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he wrote to one of his students. And, and this is coming from someone who, I mean, this guy had it all figured out. And he wrote this to his student named Timothy. He said, the grace of our Lord is more than abundant. When the, with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am the foremost of all sinners. Yet for this reason I found mercy 
so that in me, as the foremost of all sinners, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who believe in him for eternal life. This is written by a guy we call Paul, the Apostle Paul. He calls himself the chief of all sinners. Paul was a Pharisee. See, the heart of God is for the tax collectors, for the low, the lowly, and those who feel like they just can't live a holy life. But the heart of God is also for those who are committed to his ways. Those who maybe their lives don't look quite as messy. The heart of God is for those people too. So for anyone in here who is better than the other people, God's heart is for you too. In other words, he loves all of his people. And in light of Jesus, all of our sin, it doesn't matter if you were coming out of a lifestyle of addiction or you're coming out of just a lifestyle where you struggle with anger, all of our sin makes us unworthy in the eyes of God. That's how Paul can stand and say, I was the worst of sinners. Maybe his lifestyle didn't seem like it, but he knew his heart. But the heart of God is even for Paul. So that's the first lesson that we learn there. The second lesson that we learn is, is really kind of our challenge for today. So the lesson we learn is, is we are, I think, challenged here to, to live as Matthew lived, to do as Matthew did. Notice the very first thing he does when he throws a party and who's at Matthew's party? Tax collectors and sinners. Matthew was a tax collector and sinner. In other words, the people who were at Matthew's party were his friends. The people he related to very well. Do you know that in the kingdom of God that you are not called to be like everyone else in this room? That you have a unique set of gifts, experiences, passions, everything. And God wants you to be who you are to reach the people in your life. He doesn't need us to all be the same. And so the challenge for us is who are the people in your life, in your circles, who you already relate to? That's who God's calling you to do what Matthew did, to extend the table fellowship to others. I know for me in, in, in my life, uh, I was talking with my oldest son yesterday, and my oldest son, um, he has grown up with me, so he's tolerated sports. I love sports and, and uh, all sports, and, and, uh, and he plays some, but not as interested. He's kind of more on the, the uh, artsy side and... and kind of got into like the comic book movies and stuff like that, which, you know, those of you who are into that, good for you. Um, <laughs> my wife said, oh, you got it when the Avengers came out. She said, we got to watch this. It's so funny. It was a really good movie. And like I fell asleep after 15 minutes. And Sorry, wow. <laughs> That's the response of my son. And, and, and they wanted to um, disown me. Um, but, but we were talking yesterday about that and, and, and how he's like, Dad, you're just all sports. You know, I'm like, I am not, while well, I was watching the Padres game. And, and, um, but that's okay, because that's the world I live in. That's who I am. And, uh, you know, I, I've shared before, I have the privilege of, one, coaching baseball. I love it. I have great interactions with a lot of people. I like to play basketball. I play at the community center here. And the guys I play basketball with, guess what? They like playing basketball, too. We're to get, we're, we have a lot in common. And it, it's not uncommon that our days will we'll be playing and then maybe in between games or after games, that conversations come up about real life and faith. Just last week, someone was asking me about, about my work and what I do. 
and, and often people who aren't you know, familiar with church say, yeah, so what do you do? Um, and some of you might be wondering that too. But, <laughs> but it was this wonderful conversation to then talk about what goes on in the life of a pastor. And they say, like, so you do that? Or you meet with people? And, and, and what kind of, how do you process through that? And here's this, all of a sudden, this door that opens up through a common interest in sports. We weren't talking about sports, but was, that's what we have in common. They were my tax collectors and sinner friends, just like me. And to be able to open up this world of, and, and share with them why, why I do what I do. And how Jesus has transformed this part of my life. And guess who gets to talk to those people? I do. Because I play basketball and so do they. Guess who gets to talk to the people at Comic-Con? Not me. <laughs> they would make fun of me. Be like, oh, look at you wearing your baseball shirt. <laughs> Just kidding, Eric. <laughs> so yeah, the challenge for you today is can you be like Matthew? Who can you invite to the table? What are the situations in your life that are allowing you to put Jesus on display? I also had uh, this weekend, it was, it was fun, I um, through baseball. I coached this one little kid, a fun kid on my team, and his mom was getting married this year. Uh, her second marriage, and they asked me, they said, hey, we're looking online to find someone to do the wedding, and we thought, we heard you do weddings, so you're better than someone online, will you do it? And they said, we're not, hey, we're not into that religious thing at all, though. I was like, that's cool, all right, let's sit down and talk, and so on the bleachers at uh, the YMCA after a baseball game, we started talking, and I said, well, here's my idea of marriage, and I was able to share with them and say, I'd be happy to do your wedding, but if I do it, I've got to talk about what I believe about marriage, and that is that Jesus Christ gives a perfect example of love. That we are imperfect people who do not deserve forgiveness. We're imperfect people who sometimes need a great amount of patience from God, and that per- forgiveness is there, and patience is there. His love doesn't fail us. That is a model. God gives us a model of how we are to love one another, and they said, that's awesome. Share that at our wedding. <laughs> And it happened. I don't know why it happened. Just to be present where you are and just say, God, okay, I'll try this. Now, Brian, I, 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 there's no way I could say those words. That's okay. Okay? You know what you could do? Let's say you're volunteering at Ocean Knoll, and someone said, what do you do Saturday morning? Well, I went over to the school and I scrubbed the bathroom floor. Guess it is the most likely question you're going to be asked if you tell them you did that. Why? <laughs> Why? And your answer might be, I have no idea. I will not do that again. <laughs> no, what a great opportunity right there just to say, you know what, because we've been tra- I've been transformed by Jesus, and we're part of a church that also wants to ex- extend that love and grace to our community. If that's all you can say, guess what? God's way smarter than you. <laughs> he can use those words and make them work. He can use them. So who are the people in your life your tax collector and sinner friends that you can invite to the table, that you can extend this invite to, just the way you live. And your people are not my people who you can reach. And that's the good news about Jesus. He's invited you to participate. We are not desiring to be a church that just hears this and says, okay, those of you who are paid, go do the job. No, we want to be a church of people who say because of Jesus, we will be like Matthew 
and invite others to the table. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. And as the worship team makes their way up, I want to ask you a couple questions here. And, and the first one is this. Can you remember being in the place of Matthew? Do you remember being invited to the table of Jesus and, and in His presence? And all of a sudden, you who felt unworthy, now He's invited you in. This morning, I want you just to recall that time. Maybe for some of you, you're still on that fence and you're thinking, I am not worthy to enter in and sit at the table of Jesus. And for you this morning, the challenge is, are you willing to accept the invite that he's given to you today? And maybe some of you say, Ryan, my, my story's not that great. You know, I have grew up as a Christian my whole life. Well, let me tell you, that is an awesome story. That means God's invite, and somehow through the circumstances in your life, you've been invited to the table your whole life. You've been there. Maybe you can't remember a major life change, but you remember that Jesus has walked with you for all these years. Remember that this morning and be grateful. And the second thing I want you to think about today is this. Who are the people in your life that God has placed you next to? Who are the tax collectors and sinners that you are, that you once were? Who are those that God has positioned you to sit with and to introduce them to the party with Jesus? Think of those people tonight, today. And let's just take a moment as we turn and finish with a couple songs of praise and lifting up our hearts to God. Before you do it, just take a moment to reflect and pray in the quietness of your own heart. Maybe pray for, for the people in your life who you know you want to introduce to the table of Jesus. And then let's respond and just worship and sing out to our God, being grateful that we, you and that I am invited to the table. And I don't know about you, but I shouldn't be there. I'm like Matthew. But he's, Jesus says, no, I'm coming to your house today. So let's celebrate that. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you that you've extended this incredible fellowship to us. Undeserved. Unearned. But you've given it to us, God. And you also extend this to those that we encounter. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us the opportunities to be faithful to you. Like Matthew God, could we invite others and introduce them to your presence? We thank you and give you this time now.